round two has started. What are our thoughts of the Eastern Conference matchups and the Western Conference matchups? And of course, we'll dive deeper into this Jazz Clippers matchup. What happened well in game one? What do we think of Donovan's stardom? That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. Every day of basketball's playoffs, DraftKings will have $20,000 in total prizes up for grabs. The best part is free to get your shot at these daily cash prizes. DraftKings will be offering two free-to-play pools every day of the NBA playoffs, offering players a free shot at $20,000 in total prizes. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code TBPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $20,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code TBPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. All right, let's dive right into it. We're going to get going with those matchups in the East. Obviously one that we thought was going to be a little bit more competitive than it is right now between the Nets and the Bucks. Nets are up 2-0, and it seemed like in the first game maybe... It was, you know, the Bucks were a little bit off, maybe having a little bit of time off, you know, blowing the heat out 4-0. And then you go to that second game, both of them without James Harden. And it just seems like the Nets are Superman. Again, like what we talked about in our last episode, it doesn't seem like there's any team out there that could catch up with these guys. Richie, after game two, what what are your predictions? What do you think of this matchup between the Nets and the Bucks? Dude, I'm honestly blown away that the Nets without Harden are just destroying them. Um, I think Milwaukee, I don't know. I feel like they just haven't attacked them with the right schemes because Milwaukee has a lot of weapons. Um, And one of the things they've done that they did during the regular season that was successful was was they played a small ball lineup with Giannis at the five. Um, And I feel like that lineup would match up really well against this Brooklyn team. Um, where you play Giannis, maybe P.J. Tucker, um, give you some shooting, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Bryn Forbes, let's say, Um, because Bryn Forbes had a really good first series. And honestly, like, we haven't seen any of that lineup. And Brooke Lopez has kind of looked like a liability. He's not great on offense, you know, like he's not able to post up like he used to do, Um, and he's just kind of taking outside shots and missing a lot of outside shots. And they put in Kevin Durant on him. And it seems like Kevin Durant is just owning him on offense and defense. And to be fair, it seems like Kevin Durant is the best player in the world right now. Um, He is playing like the best player in the world. And I don't, I don't know how Milwaukee hopes to stop this Nets team, but whatever they're planning to do right now just is not cutting it. Um, Game two was an absolute blowout. They won by almost 40, 39 points. Um, And I just feel like nobody, 
on the Bucks roster played well, but everybody on the Nets roster plays well. And I feel like that's why the Nets have been so successful is because they have so many different weapons. And, you know, you get your KD and you get your Kyrie, but then Bruce Brown Jr. goes in and scores 13. Mike James, who was the MVP in Russia, all of a sudden is like the MVP in the United States too. Like he's playing great and he has all the confidence. Landry Shamit um, fits his role perfectly. And honestly, dude, this Nets team is winning, winning it all. Yeah, it just seems like every time you watch them, I'm like, man, there just seems like there's nobody, no other, you know, group of basketball players that have any chance of catching up with their offensive firepower. And now, like we said in a few episodes before, they're picking it up on the defensive end as well. I wanted to get your take because I thought it was interesting, especially with James Harden being out the last two games. It seems like they've dominated even more when they were going up against that Celtics team who was, you know, they didn't, they didn't have Kemba Walker for a few games. They obviously didn't have Jalen Brown. Um, and it seemed like they were at least a little bit more competitive. Obviously we talked about the schemes that the bucks have been trying to implement that are a little bit different, but do you see it as a coincidence that they're scoring a lot more that it's a bigger point differential with Harden out of the lineup? Um, I think one other important thing to factor in is Dante DiVincenzo isn't in the bucks lineup. He's yeah. been a great def- defender all, all year long. He's a hustle guy. He's always going to be the guy diving for the loose ball. He's the guy making the extra pass. And it feels like Milwaukee has really needed that this series. They've needed a guy to kind of do what Dante DiVincenzo did. Um, and honestly, I mean, if I feel like if DiVincenzo was in this series and Harden was in this series, it might be a little bit more competitive. Um, looking at the Bucks roster, they have a lot of good pieces. They have a lot of guys – um, that are good shooters, which is something they addressed in the offseason. They have guys that are able to create their own shot um, through Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. But I feel like they're still just not – they're not clicking. And part of that is Giannis. Um, I think one thing Giannis has not done well this series is his shot selection. Giannis will dribble down like 14 seconds into the shot clock and he's taking a three. And if you're the Nets, you love that. Yeah. You love that Giannis is taking threes, even if they're uncontested. Um, he's not a good shooter. And I feel like the Nets have just schemed so well against this Brooklyn against this Milwaukee team. Um I don't I don't know what else to add. And I think the Bucks are excuse me, the Nets are peaking at the exact right time. I feel like all these players are really fitting into their rotation and what their roles are. Um, We saw that in the first round. And I just think this group, this unit looks super comfortable with each other. I absolutely agree. I just think this is an unbeatable team at this moment. You could change my mind. Maybe someone shows up in the Eastern Conference Finals and these guys (laughs) are shaken. But I think the only way that it looks reasonable or that facts could back you up that another team could beat them is if Kyrie or KD goes down along with Harden. Like that's the only reason I could see where I'd, I'd maybe favor another team in a best of seven. Yeah. Um, so that one, it'll be interesting to see how the bucks respond because obviously game three is a must win at this point. It's not like it's going to be like the Clippers and Mavericks matchup where you're, you can go down Oh two and magically come back. Like it's going to be very tough. So in my personal opinion, obviously, if if the Bucks don't win Game Three, it's going to be a sweep. If they do win Game Three, I say they lose in five. But um, that's going to be a crucial game to see. Maybe if if that's the tipping point of that series, 
Do you see this as a sweep, or do you think maybe the Bucks get one game at home? I feel like the Bucks are going to get one game at home because I feel like so many of their mistakes are very fixable. Um, I think Budenholzer is a good enough coach. I don't think he's a great coach. I don't think he should have won coach two times in a row, coach of the year two times in a row. Um, but I do think that he is a good coach. Um, and I think that game three is kind of their game to show that, you know, like nobody really expected them to win both games in Brooklyn. But game three, if they win game three, all of a sudden it's a series. You're down 2-1 and you have another game at home. You have another opportunity to win. Um, so I really feel like game three is the game that decides whether it's a sweep or whether they lose in five or six. Um, ultimately, I think Brooklyn is going to pull out of this series. I think they're just too good, and I don't think Milwaukee has the weapons to contest them. Um, and for that for that reason, I think I think Brooklyn takes this in four or five. I'm with you on this. <laughs> and, and for that reason, I'm out. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I think the six or the, yeah, the Sixers Hawks matchup though has been very intriguing. Um, I thought the Hawks Knicks matchup was amazing in the first round. I loved it, even though it was only five games. Um, and just the role that kind of Trey young has stepped into. And I think we have to give a lot of credit to what Nate McMillan has done, you know, stepping in as the coach. Um, you know, the more and more you see this team, it just they just look completely different than what they did at the beginning of the season. Um, it's been said that their pace is a lot quicker than what it was before. They're moving faster, and they have a lot of good shooters. I think that's why a lot of analysts um, and fans of the NBA chose the Hawks to win that series over the Knicks is just because of their offensive firepower and talent. And you see that in these games between the Sixers. It was crazy to watch that first game and see them go up by 20. Obviously, like Embiid was, you know, coming back um um off that you know meniscus terror i i honestly don't know if he's like playing through a lot of pain at all um but they looked like they were ready to go and obviously that was that crazy sixers comeback at the end where i was like oh my gosh they're gonna blow this but that really has come to show like the sixers physicality in the playoffs they made comments about it in their post-game interview saying like you know we wish the refs would maybe back off a little bit because we believe like we can be more physical a lot of those I felt were hacks. Me personally, I felt a lot of those towards the end were hacks. They weren't calling, um, but they're a physical team. And then you see Trey Young really trying to lead this team. And then the second game, it just the Sixers kind of controlled the pace for basically all the game and blew it out of the water going into you know going into the fourth. How do you see this one playing out? Because obviously, like me personally, I was surprised that the Hawks took Game One from them. Obviously, with the Sixers being the one seed. Um, and looking at them going against the Nets, I feel more comfortable with the Sixers going against the Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. Obviously, we all like an underdog story, but us being a Western Conference team, we'd like to see one that we might have a chance at beating, say we make yeah. it to the finals. So they're going back to Atlanta. What? How do you see the series playing out? What have you learned from the matchup from these first two games between these two teams? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is Atlanta did their job. They won game one, um, and they won it in pretty incredible fashion. They were up 20 most of the game. Yeah. And then at the end, like you said, I feel like they were getting hacked a lot on those inbounds plays. Um, but also credit to Philly for being aggressive on the defensive end, and credit to Atlanta for hitting those shots down the stretch and making good decisions down the stretch. Um, looking at games three and four, I think Atlanta honestly has a good shot at winning this series. Atlanta has a lot of weapons. Um, I kind of noticed that last night. 
Trey Young was getting shut down by Ben Simmons last night. Credit to Ben Simmons. He was um, being physical. He was blocking Trey Young's shots. He was getting into his um, defensive flow. He was getting into his flow, and Trey Young just wasn't looking like Trey Young. But Atlanta had a lot of other guys step, step up. Bogdan Bogdanovich has been a great secondary playmaker. He's been everything the Hawks hoped he would be, and he was great in um, the first half of game two. Kevin Herter off the bench was also great. I think he had 20 points on eight of eight shooting. Um, I You can't ask for a better game from a guy off your bench. Yeah. Um, and in that first half, Atlanta's bench was really the key. Um, I think they outscored Philly's bench in the first half like 30 to zero. Uh, Philly's bench didn't score a single point in the first half. And then in that second half, um, we kind of saw what Shake Milton did for the be- off the bench for Philly. And it became the Shake Milton show. And uh, Shake Milton ended with, I think he ended with like 15 points off the bench, uh, 14 points off the bench, but he gave them ex- right when they needed them because Philly was losing that lineup. They were losing when uh, they had Embiid, when they had Simmons and Harris out, um, and when they had their backups in. But Shake Milton kind of facilitated for them. He was hitting every shot, and ultimately they pulled away and won, out, won in a blowout. So looking at game three, um, for Atlanta, you got to shut down your, they got to shut down their role players. They got to shut down Seth Curry. They got to shut down Danny Green um, and Shake Milton off the bench. I think if they can shut down those guys, you can let Embiid have his 35. Um, you can let Ben Simmons drive into the lane and pass because he won't be aggressive enough. Um, and you can let Tobias Harris settle for his shots. But if you shut down those other guys, uh, those guys outside of their big three, I feel like Atlanta has a real shot at winning this. Yeah. And I've honestly thought that, especially in that first game, um, I think the Hawks is, are a very scrappy team, um, especially they've stepped up their game a little bit when it comes to defense. Us as Jazz fans, we had a, we had an experience with Clint Capella in the playoffs a few years back where he basically owned that matchup with Rudy Gobert when he was playing in Houston. And I was so surprised because Clint Capella is obviously a younger guy and I was just like, how is this happening? But now you see him and he's developed his game. And even though Embiid, you know, like you said, he's going to be dropping that 35. I think he's a really critical part of that team, especially down low in the paint. And I think the way we've been seeing Ben Simmons doing that drive and dish, he seemed a little bit confused in that first game when they played the Hawks. There was a lot of turnovers by that Sixers team, like a ton. And so I think that'll be crucial going down the stretch is how they're going to defend the paint. Um, Because obviously... If you you live and die by the three S's, Jazz fans know this, and so the more that you, the more that you guard that paint, the more easily you can have um, motivation and the drive to win it on O. So, do you think after it's one one, how do you see this series playing out going forward? Because I mean, we're not going to be talking until this time next week. So, how do you see this until next time? Okay, so I'm thinking that Atlanta kind of gets back to their roots in game three. I think they're mad after what happened in game two. And I think we're going to see Trey Young have a good game. Um, I think he's going to be better at attacking Embiid in the paint, and he's going to get to his spots. Um, I think Atlanta's going to take game three, and Philly's going to take game four. And then they're going to take game five as well at home. And then Atlanta's taking game six, and Philly's taking game seven. I got this one going to seven. I'm all in on this. Uh, I think – it's a good enough matchup for both teams that it could go to seven realistically. Um, so I, that's going to be my final prediction. 
I like that. And for those who listen to us, Richie's predictions are pretty darn close. This guy's a genie. <laughs> we'll talk about that when we talk about the Jazz coming up. Um, but you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here. Game set. It's going to seven games. Hawks, Sixers. Okay. <laughs> um, the other matchup in the West before we dive into the Jazz and all that. Suns, Nuggets. Interesting matchup. I really wish this is a series where I really wish Jamal Murray was playing. Um, obviously, it was sad to see him not play against the Trailblazers, but with the Suns at you know basically full capacity now against the Nuggets, they they're missing some guys, and even like the Nuggets still led at halftime, and then things just exploded. I think something that was crucial from that game was DeAndre Ayton. Um, especially guarding now the newly named MVP. So when Jokic was guarded by DeAndre Ayton, he had 11 points and he shot, you know, roughly about 36% from the field. Uh, he shot five of 14 and had a turnover. And on the other end of the floor, when Ayton was on offense guarded by Jokic, he was six of eight for 13 points and zero turnovers. I think that's a matchup that is really big for DeAndre Ayton. I think going into the playoffs, he's really stepped into his role as a center. I think I kind of saw that in the bubble last year when they ended that season. He looked pretty dominant in all those games that they played, and now he's really stepped into that role in the playoffs. What has stood out to you just after one game between the Suns and the Nuggets? Well, first of all, I think it was an amazing three first three quarters. Um, it was competitive, and... Uh, you couldn't have asked for a better first three quarters. And then Chris Paul got going in the fourth <laughs> and Philly had, or Phoenix, excuse me, Phoenix yeah. had their big run. And then it was just kind of over. Um, some big things that stick out to me are how good Phoenix's bench players and their role players have been playing um, outside of Chris Paul, Devin Booker and Aiden, because I think all three of those guys have been doing exactly their job, but their bench guys have stepped up big time. Um, I think we saw that in game two with um, Mikkel Bridges, first of all. He had 23, and I swear he just hit every single corner three that he got passed to, and yep. he just made all of them. He It felt like he made like 40 corner threes in that game. Um, another big one that I think doesn't get enough credit is Torrey Craig. Torrey Craig is a guy that I've been hyped about ever since that Denver-Utah series last year. I thought he looked like Denver's best perimeter defender um, last year. And I thought this year he looks like he's able to contribute to this Phoenix team. Um, he hasn't gotten a ton of playing time, but in game in game one, he had nine points and eight rebounds off the bench. That's great for a small forward. Um, and obviously he had that emphatic alley-oop, uh, the Cameron Payne from the three-point line up to Torrey Craig. And after that, the Suns crowd just went crazy. That was um, nuts. Another big, another big one um, who I just mentioned is Cameron Payne. Cameron Payne was playing in China last year and he got the opportunity to come back and play for the Suns. And I feel like he's done so good in his role. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of Cameron Payne, um, but he has done everything that they've asked him to do. Looking at the Nuggets, a lot of their guards didn't have a good game. Um, I feel like Austin Rivers has been decent enough in this playoffs to help um, the Nuggets win games, and he wasn't great in game one. Um, Campazzo wasn't super good in game one either. Monte Morris really struggled. He only had two points, and Monte Morris kind of has to be their third scorer. Um, so looking at game two, I think 
the way that the Nuggets guards play is very critical because Aiton's good enough in that matchup versus Jokic where they're not having to double team, um, which is how the Nuggets guards get involved offensively. Um, they draw Jokic draws the double and then Jokic kicks out to them for a corner three or an open three. Um, and that's worked great for the Nuggets all season long. But Aiton has just, I feel like he's kind of gotten the best of Jokic this series. Yeah. Um, and he's been good enough defensively where they haven't had to double him. They haven't had to do any of the things that people normally do against Nikola Jokic. Um, and so if we want a better game uh, in game two for the Nuggets, a lot of it is going to come down to their guard play and how well their guards are able to get to the basket, how well they're able to shoot and uh, make every open shot. I also think Michael Porter Jr. is a big key for them. Yep. Um, Porter Jr. has had some explosive games, but I he started in this series. He, I mean, he's only had his one game and he had 15 points. Um, if I feel like if they want to win against Phoenix team against this high caliber Phoenix team, Michael Porter Jr. has to score at least 30 every game. Um, and so I think that's going to be a big key for uh, Denver. Ultimately, I think Phoenix has taken this series. I wouldn't count the Nuggets out because Nikola Jokic has proved that he is an MVP caliber player um, and that he carries that into the offseason because sometimes you get these MVPs that are just regular season MVPs. But Jokic is showing in the offseason that he is the MVP. Um, for that reason, I'm taking that the Suns win in six in this series because um, I think you can't just discount Nikola Jokic. He's going to win at least two games. Yeah, I had the exact same prediction. And I think going into next season, if that Nuggets team is at, you know, full health, I I really like that team. And you know what's awesome I realize is that Denver, Utah, and Phoenix are all in the Western Conference semifinals. Like, and especially with all of these young stars moving up, especially with Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker, like those two guys could be able to be like the kings of the West moving forward, which is a super cool thing to think about that it's literally salt lake city and phoenix that could be the two city destinations in the west something else that i wanted to point out from that game one win was how i think the the many similarities between utah and the suns is just the balanced team attack we talk about how there's multiple guys on this utah jazz team that can you know have 20 plus point games in any given game and I think we saw a really one of the well most well-balanced offensive attacks from the Phoenix Suns in game one versus the Nuggets. Like Chris Paul had 21, Devin Booker had 21, Bridges had 23, Crowder had 14, Aiton had 20. Like m almost a majority of their, like almost 75% of their points came from that starting five. So I think that's kind of the, I like that brand of basketball. Like a lot of analysts will say that's not the way to go. They love watching, you know, the specific players carry teams like the Lucas and the LeBrons. And as fun as it is to watch a player go off, there's nothing like watching great team basketball. And you see how much it benefits you in the end. Like the, just the sun's going into that fourth quarter when Chris Paul's going off, like they just look dominant when you have your leader shooting great shots. Everyone just seems to fall into place. And I think like if the Jazz can do that, because obviously last night was not their best game, which we will get into. <laughs> but if everyone plays their best basketball, I think that's so beautiful when all of your starting five can contribute to what they were meant to do and play in their roles. So speaking of that, let's dive into the Jazz. Okay, 
So last night was an insane game um, against the Clippers where that was the worst first quarter I have seen from the Jazz this entire season, and stats can back me up. They shot absolutely terrible. Yeah, they didn't score for basically almost nine minutes of the first quarter. I have never seen a bigger drought in basketball. Like I was like, man, they just cannot make a shot. They made maybe two or three two-point buckets, everything else coming from the three when something would fall. And yet the Clippers were only up seven after the first quarter. Second quarter, it seemed like they were trying to fight in that, you know, they got it, you know, back into single digits a little bit, but the Clippers took a 13 point lead into halftime. This seemed like a typical jazz game one, you know, in the playoffs again, where it just seemed like they weren't into it. Obviously we didn't have Mike Conley then enter focus Donovan Mitchell in the second half. And he just goes off, finishes with 45. The Jazz storm back and go on an amazing run in the third quarter and finish things off in the fourth. Now, a lot of analysts are talking about last night, right? Because if you looked before this series, a lot of famous analysts in all categories from ESPN, Fox, CBS, like if you look at all their predictions, I'd say about almost 75%, 80% of the analysts pick the Clippers to win this series relative you pick the jazz that's typical obviously there's a lot of different reasons to say that um but it was interesting to see their comments after last night's game i think the most the one that the one that stood out the most obviously is shaquille o'neal's comments on the tnt uh post game report where he said you know the jazz just played their best game yet they only won by three you know and the clippers just weren't hitting anything at all richie what are your reactions to not only what happened last night but with the jazz, um, I'd like to hear comments on like what you think they did well, you know, what they didn't do well, but what, what are your reactions to what everyone's saying around the league after game one? Um, first of all, to Shaquille O'Neal, that was not the best you've ever seen the jazz play. Amen. I think, I think the best we've seen the jazz play was game five against Memphis. I think we saw them at their absolute offensive peak in that game. And I think last night we saw the jazz at their defensive peak um, in a game. I think the Jazz defended so well in the first half, and that's what kept us in that game because that easily could have been a blowout. Um, We should have been down by 20 after the first quarter. Yeah, and then it just kind of would have been over. Uh, Game one would have been over. But credit to our defense, credit to Royce O'Neal, who was doing great on Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Credit to Bojan Bogdanovic, who was great in every defensive matchup he was on. Um, Donovan, I feel like he got scored on a lot. I feel like Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard hit a three on him almost every other play. Um, but when he's carrying that much of an offensive load, it's kind of okay. You live with it, you know. Um, Rudy was obviously great. Speaking of Rudy, he just won his third defensive player of the year about 10 minutes ago. So shout out to Rudy. Um, but I feel like our defense is really what got us through that first half. And this is something Donovan talked about. At the beginning of the year, he said, there's going to be games where we start out slow, where we're not able to hit any shots. I don't think he was anticipating any games where you go, oh, of 21 um, <laughs> in, a, in a stretch. But he was anticipating that, you know, we're not going to make every shot. But he said, um, the key for us is to be solid defensively. And Donovan was absolutely solid defensively. I mean, the whole Jazz was were absolutely solid defensively. Um, so I think that's really what got us through that first half. 
Then in that second half, as you mentioned, we saw we saw a special performance again from Donovan Mitchell. Um, he had 32 in the second half. He was phenomenal. He was getting everywhere. I feel like Kawhi couldn't stay in front of him. Paul George couldn't stay in front of him. They'd put Rondo. They'd put Batum. They'd put Reggie Jackson. They'd put Kennard. They didn't have an answer for Donovan. It's simple as that. And Donovan was able to really break down their defense. He was able to get to the rim. He was making his threes. It was just a special second half for Donovan. But the rest of the Jazz team was also stepping up. Um, Jordan Clarkson started that game so bad. I feel like he missed like six threes in a row or something. Yeah. And then he just does what Jordan Clarkson does and what you expect him to do. He starts making his shots. Um, I think he's missing something in his brain that just tells him like, you're not going to make this shot because he just keeps shooting. And I love it. Um, I feel like that was a big, big key for Donovan in that, or for the jazz in that second half was getting Clarkson and Donovan going and their offensive firepower was able to lead us through the game. Another big key was Rudy Gobert hitting free throws down the stretch. Rudy yeah, Gobert has impressive. not been, he has not been a good, def, uh, good um, free throw shooting player, especially in the playoffs. He's been bad. Um, not as bad as Luka Doncic, but he's been bad. And, <laughs> you know, he he really stepped up in that fourth quarter whenever they'd foul him, and he kind of eliminated um, anything that they were trying to do as far as a fa- uh, hack-a-shack goes. Um, so I was really happy to see that for Rudy. I was happy to see all of his free throws go in, and, and um, there were multiple lead changes where Rudy was putting us ahead because of his free throws. So yeah. I think those those were kind of the biggest keys. I still feel like we have a lot of things we need to tighten um, tighten up. One of those things is Joe Ingles. Where has Joe Ingles been? Um, he hit his first three, and then I feel like he was really absent the rest of the night. He ended with eight points and seven assists, which is great, but it just didn't feel like it was enough. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich was great that game. I can't complain about him on offense or defense. He was great. Uh, Georges Niang, he had a couple of bad plays. I'll just say that. Um, when Georges Yang is dribbling the ball, he is at his absolute <laughs> bottom. He, you just, it just doesn't get worse than that. But when Georges Yang is open on the three, when he's cutting and trying to just get open on the three, because I only want him shooting from one spot and it's on the three. Um, he's great. And he did, he had, he had one big three down the stretch, which was crucial for the jazz to get back into that game. So I think we're going to see a better game from a couple of Jazz players. I think Joe is going to step it up at game two. We'll see if we have Mike. Um, if we have Mike back, I feel like we win game two pretty easily because Mike does so much to help our offense. I don't think we would have had that 0-21 stretch if we had Mike on the floor because he does so much to help guys get moving. Um, he's so good at attacking the pick and roll, um, and he's so good at getting Rudy the ball, which was I feel like we didn't have anybody to get Rudy the ball last night. So I feel like those are some big keys. And if the Jazz can just kind of up their level even a little bit more, we're going to take the series pretty easily. Yeah, I I just thought it was so interesting what everyone's perceptions and takes were after that game. And I just think a lot of people had different outlooks from what we saw, I guess, particularly as Jazz fans. Something that was interesting is that if you take Donovan's stats out of last night, I think our team shot maybe mid thirties, like 30%, like 34%, which is terrible. Like you can't win a playoff game shooting in the 30% range, you know? Yeah. And (laughs) 
just like you said, there were times when I felt some guys just weren't playing the roles like George Niang. We talked, we were watching the game together. You know, when he hits that three, when he's just catch and shoot, like that's his role. He's good at that. He finds the open space and the rotation when they're passing the ball effectively. If you have a wide open George Niang, I'm really comfortable with him taking that shot. Like really comfortable. He's, he's proven that he's a really good shooter when he's, you know, when he's wide open for the most part. Yeah. And I think yeah. another thing was that Jordan Ingles, like you said, or sorry, Joe Ingles has just, I don't know if it's like different with him being in the starting role compared to when he's in the bench, but that's just like such a different feeling when he's coming off the bench and playing that point guard while, you know, Conley or Mitchell's off. Because like you said, Conley is offering something just so much more when he's on the floor. He had an excellent series against Memphis. Like he played fantastic basketball. And so I think you see, we talked about this when Mitchell came back onto the floor, just having him in the rotation changes the game. It's the same thing with Conley, with all these all-stars, just having them in there changes it. Rudy didn't have a great game at all. I mean, what he was like, what, two for five on the floor, two or like three for something? Yeah, it wasn't great. But um, yet you still felt his presence in some way on the defensive end. I thought it was interesting to see how Ty Lue tried to match up with the Jazz they have such like a deep bench. I felt like I was seeing a very different team than what we saw against the Mavs series. Um, DeMarcus Cousins came out of nowhere. I was yeah. like, did he even get minutes in that Maverick series? I don't think he did because when he showed up, I, I like my mind had completely forgotten about him. It's I like, go, oh, DeMarcus Cousins is on their team. <laughs> I was like, he's still in the league. Oh, right. He's <laughs> he played in like 40 games for the Clippers. Okay. And he comes in and he made like a pretty good impact off the start. You know, he had that strip from Gobert just go, goes right down, gets an and one. And I thought, holy crap, like these guys have a really deep bench. Um, and Luke Kennard stepped up in that first half. Um, a, a guy who was drafted before Donovan, I kept making fun of him as a kind of a bust. But I mean, he really performed his role. Um, Reggie Jackson was hitting shots. Another big thing I think last night was foul trouble for the Clippers. Obviously, we saw a lot of their stars in foul trouble. Reggie Jackson fouled out. Um, I think another take that was very interesting from analysts around the league was that, oh, this isn't, this isn't the real Paul George. I was screaming last night, just leave him <laughs> open. I will have him shoot his shot. I mean, the one he had two, maybe three point attempts or and makes that were important to the game. That last one, you know, coming 30 seconds left in the game that brought them within three. But before that he was shooting so bad and it's like this is the paul george that i'm used to as a jazz fan and like in the playoffs he i think he does really well finding other guys and assisting i think what was interesting is that a lot of he's very hesitant to take the shot when it i feel when it really comes down to it paul george is very hesitant to take that important shot i really honestly thought Kawhi was going to take that you know potential game tying three-point shot Surprised when I went to Marcus Morris, but again, that corner three is like his kingdom. He owned that against the Mavs, especially in game seven of that last series. What do you think the Jazz need to do? Because I'm just really interested to see what adjustments both teams make going into game two. Um, I thought it was interesting that Ty Lue specifically said that he wanted Gobert on the floor going into that final um, possession in the game. He didn't want to call a timeout because he, he thought – they were that the Jazz might have taken Gobert out of the defensive lineup because obviously they had to make a three, and they thought, okay, well, Gobert can't defend the perimeter. By the way, to all you uh, haters out there, Gobert did defend the perimeter at least for the <laughs> most important shot. Um, what adjustments are you expecting, or what do you think will change going into Game Two? 
Um, so before I answer that question, I just want to ask you, uh, do you remember that commercial with Paul George, the Gatorade commercial, where it's of him shooting a buzzer beater? It was like in yes. 2016, 2017. Yes, and then he drinks the Gatorade afterwards. <laughs> okay, I yeah. remember. I don't think he's had a game winner since. <laughs> Well, it's uh, I like, think that commercial was a curse for him. And I think I thought it was very interesting. Um, when we played, when the Jazz played the Thunder back in, was it, it was 2018, wasn't it? I think it was 2017. 20, 2017? I could be wrong. I, I believe it was 2018 because that was Donovan's, Donovan's rookie. Yeah, 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 okay, you're yeah. right, you're right, you're right. When, when they played that series, the first game, I believe Paul George had 40 or close to 40. He had a very excellent game one. And the whole talk around the league was, oh my gosh, playoff P is here. He's real. <laughs> and I can see you in my mind saying, guys, playoff P, he had his game, but that does not exist. Like, just keep watching. <laughs> it's not going to happen again. And it never did. In the rest, in the other five games that happened, it felt like Paul George never showed, like he had like some runs. Obviously, you had Carmelo just throwing bricks in Oklahoma City. Westbrook was fighting for his life, but it just felt, I was like, well, I guess, I guess Reggie's right on this. You know, playoff P isn't going to show up. He's not a thing, man. <laughs> he's not, a, he's not a thing. In fact, that is a myth. Like I honestly believe these guys are out here, you know, thinking it's like believing in like mythology, God, like a <laughs> mythology God, like it's just not real. I haven't seen him show up yet. He could prove me wrong. I I'd honestly like to see him prove me wrong, prove you wrong. I'd say, um, <laughs> Because then I think it'd make a series more interesting. But last night, especially watching that game, I'm like, guys, you like don't really need to guard him that much because he sh he shot like 23%. Like, just leave him. Like, I'll let him shoot. I'd I'd much rather guard double you know double team Kawhi Leonard on an important shot than double team Paul George. Oh, but yeah. again, like you said before, I think Bogdanovich's defense as well as Royce O'Neal's was just superb. I did not expect that from Bogdanovich. Obviously, he's not like a defensive star in the slightest. But these are two guys that especially like to get it to the paint, especially in Kawhi Leonard. He's a guy who's really good at driving to the basket and pulling up at mid-range. His mid-range game is is kind of Chris Paul-esque in the playoffs. Like his hands, he kind of has like KD shot in the mid-range to where I just think it's unguardable to some extent. Yeah. yeah. Um, like you look at guys who are playing the closest, toughest of defense, and it just still seems like Kawhi has a really good look from mid-range. Um, so going back to that original question, what adjustments do you think will happen with each team going into game two? Um, so a lot of Jazz fans, a lot of people think um, one adjustment that the Clippers are going to make is putting Kawhi on Donovan. So I don't think they're going to do this uh, for a couple of reasons. I think you don't want to tire out Kawhi too early in the series if you're L.A. Um, it's still a long series for them. They're thinking that they can still win this series. I mean, it's just one game that they've that they've lost. Um, and so they have a very strong shot at winning this. But if they tire out Kawhi and if they tire out Paul George by putting those two on Donovan, then it's just going to be a hard it's going to be a hard series for them. Um, so I don't think they're going to really attack Donovan in that way. I do think if Donovan is the primary ball handler and there's no Mike Conley in game two, that we're going to see a lot of double teams. But Donovan has proven that he can be a good passer. So I'm excited to see how they try to attack Donovan on the defensive end because I think Donovan has the tools to be able to um, combat it. And I think that 
it's going to open some things up. I also think we're not going to see as many Zubach minutes. Um, I think they're going to try to go more small ball. That's kind of something that Tyloo mentioned uh, today. He said, you guys are going to see a little bit more of DeMarcus Cousins and Pat Beverly in game two. Um, personally, as a Jazz fan, I'm excited to see both of those guys in because I don't think either of them are really going to help the Clippers down the stretch. Um, and so, and I feel like Zubach had a really good game one. I feel like he was a great defensive presence and he was doing everything that the Clippers were asking of him. Um, so I think that's going to be an adjustment to watch out for. Um, I think there's going to probably be, I don't know where they're going to put Kawhi. Um, if they put him on Royce or if they put him on Bogdanovich. Um, I think whoever has Kawhi on him is probably just going to have to be kind of passive, only shoot when you have open shots. Um, but at the same time, I'm not opposed to attacking Kawhi on defense and getting him tired. As for how they attack us on offense, I feel like the Jazz's defense was just kind of perfect in game one. And I don't know what they're going to do to scheme against us, I think Kawhi played kind of passive in game one and maybe he'll try to be a little bit more aggressive. Maybe he'll try to get to his spots a little bit more. Um, but I'm not expecting a very big game too for Kawhi. Um, as for Paul George, I don't think he's ever going to have a good game in Utah again. It's just, <laughs> it just doesn't seem likely. Like it's been so many games that he's had a bad game in Utah to the point where I just think he's going to have, Maybe some good games in LA, but none in Utah. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think another really underrated factor, and I thought something that was really advantageous towards the Jazz going into this matchup was obviously the environment. Um, like that crowd was rocking. It was so cool to see Vivin at full capacity last night. Um, it was deafening from what I heard. Um, I have a Someone I know works for the Jazz. Been to he knows been to a ton of games. Apparently, he's lost hearing from going to so many oh Jazz games. Oh my gosh! And and I don't doubt it. But you know, going to LA, and I think that was really impressive last series against the Grizzlies. What the Jazz did on the road, I think down the stretch they showed you know kind of that championship mentality of when it got close, when the other team went on a run, they have the crowd behind their back. That's how they responded. And I think now going to LA, I don't know if they've changed the crowd regulations or anything like that, but I think that's really advantageous towards the Jazz to basically when you go to LA, you know they maybe have three or four sections, you know, packed. But besides that, like I love just it's going to be basically them versus the Clippers in like an exhibition type game. You know, you've got a few fans out in the crowd, but I think that's a really underrated factor is the environment at Vivint and the environment at Staples Center. I think that's that's. Like it was so cool to see when the Jazz went on a run in the second half, just to see how loud that crowd could get. Like I couldn't even hear the announcers at times. It was crazy. Um, so what are your predictions? I guess you've already said, you know, Jazz could win game two. Let's Mike Conley is a critical factor for me, at least in my predictions. If Mike Conley comes back, I say that the Jazz win this by low double digits, like 11 or 12. Um, like you said, I, I just think he will involve a lot more players and he's just playing at an elite level right now. I don't know what, what his availability will be if he does come back, if he has a minutes restriction, but I just think having him back in the lineup will just change things completely. If Mike doesn't come back, I think it's a lot closer. And I might say that the Clippers could steal game two. If Mike Conley isn't back in, what would your, do you think anything changes in terms of 
the Clippers winning, the Clippers losing if Mike Conley comes back in game two? Um, I do think that the Clippers are probably going to put up a better continual fight, if that makes sense, kind of throughout the whole game. Because I feel like they did kind of give up in that second half. I mean, it was close and it ended a very close game, but it did seem like the Jazz had control in that second half. And I'm not expecting that to happen um, throughout the entire second half like it did yesterday. Um, so I do think if they don't have Mike Conley, that it's probably going to be a very close game um, between, I don't know, five, ten points. Um, either way, I don't I don't know who's going to win. I'm hoping the Jazz win, obviously, but I'm not sure who's going to win. I think Mike is going to be back by game three in L.A. And if they split here, um, we got to win both games in L.A. and bring it home for game five and finish it off in Utah. Personally, I think the Jazz, I think the series goes to six. Um, a lot of that, like you've mentioned, is pending Mike Conley. And it kind of sucks because we're always questioning about Mike Conley. It felt like in the in uh it feels like we've just been worried about Mike Conley like the last two months. Like, is Mike gonna be playing? Is Donovan gonna be playing? Um, I think we're com- comfortable that Donovan will be playing um every game from here on out. Um, but with Mike, you're still kind of worried. So I do think if if Mike's back by game three, we win this series in six. If he's back by game two, I think we win the series in five. I like that. I I, I actually do. Um, and I think, it, especially if Mike does come back for those away games, I, I, I honestly think it's very, very possible that the Jazz take both of those games on the road. Um, but especially looking back to, to this last game one, you just can't get past how apparent Donovan's stardom is in Utah. It's just, he has an electrifying feel of the team. You go back to, you know, the summer of 2017, Gordon Hayward leaves us. And I think, okay, we're in the dust right as we got, you know, to maybe playoff potential. And Donovan just comes in and there's just a vibe with him. Like he is an energizer. He's like the energizer bunny for this Utah Jazz (laughs) team. I, I love it. And I love the culture that he's brought to this organization. And I thought it was so cool, especially yesterday as, in that second half, as he's going on a run, as he's scoring in just unprecedented ways, how he's receiving coaching tips from Dwayne Wade live. Like, you don't see any other NBA owner coaching their star player in the middle of a playoff game courtside. Like, you just don't see that. And that was so cool yeah. to see last night with between Dwayne Wade and Donovan Mitchell. And now everyone's talking about it. Like, he's setting records again. We're seeing the playoff Donovan that we saw last year in the bubble. He already has... Is it four 40 point playoff games? Is that yeah. right? He's so tied with Carl Malone. He's tied with Carl Malone. Carl Malone's played like tens, dozens of playoff games, like insane amount of player games. I think he's like high 50s or something like that. Like the dude has played a lot of playoff games, and Donovan's already tied him for 40 point games. And that and that's the second leading all-time score in NBA history. Donovan's playing and he's stepping up in the exact moment when he needs to step up. What are your thoughts on Donovan as a super, not only as an all-star, but as a superstar? Um, I feel like it's a really interesting conversation. And it's funny how much this conversation changes between regular season and postseason. Because in regular season, you kind of see Donovan just walking through the motions. And, you know, every like five games, he has a really incredible game where he takes over and it's obvious that he's great. But in the playoffs, it is every single game that he's having a good game, 
that he's showing up and that he's um, just doing everything you can ask that a superstar does. And I feel like if the Jazz go to the Western Conference Finals, if they beat this Clippers team, then that question of whether or not Donovan is a superstar or not is kind of not even a question. It's kind of like, okay, Donovan is a legit superstar. Come the postseason, he's going to be the best player on the Jazz. And I I think he has been the best player on the Jazz in this postseason. Um, And honestly, it's great to have a superstar in Utah. It feels it feels great because I feel like I've watched the so many mediocre jazz teams where you didn't have a guy to close out the game. Um, you didn't have that guy to just go score 30 and a half. And with Donovan, it feels like you have that guy that's doing that. And at the same time, he's hyping up the crowd. He is yelling for people to stand up. He is totally embracing the energy that's going on. And ultimately I think he's kind of making Utah a better place and a, better destination for other NBA players to be in. Yeah. I think in this last, you know, four years, it's just completely changed Utah and the way everyone looks at them on the map. I think they're really wanting to make this small market team a high target destination for a lot of NBA free agents and players around the league. And I think with the way that they're playing, if they can keep doing this, that can definitely happen. And I absolutely agree with you. If they go far, I think the question's not even relevant anymore and that Donovan obviously is a superstar in the league. So we're excited to see what happens with the Jazz. Obviously, next week, we might have a completely different story. (laughs) The Jazz could be moving on. We have no idea, but we're super excited for how this moves on. So we'll finish off, of course, with some tiny Utes news, obviously because none of the Utah Utes teams are in season right now, but we got more transfer news. (laughs) What's new? Um, Utes basketball, it seemed like they were kind of struggling in terms of people leaving the program for, uh, you know, other in-state programs um, or, you know, other national programs as well. It just seemed like our whole team just got a bomb thrown in and they all just went across the country to different teams. I mean, we got Alfonso Plummer, I think isn't at Illinois now. Um, Timmy Allen's in Texas. Ryland Jones is up at Utah state. So it just felt like, well, last team's Utah team uh, does not exist anymore. Um, and so now Utah is basically having to rebuild all again, but I think they got, we've been talking about the transfers that they've been receiving. And I think they had some really big transfers, um, this last week. Um, obviously crazy news. Both Gotch comes back, um, played for the Utes, um, for a few seasons left to go to, oh, where did he go? Minnesota. That's right. Um, he, he played pretty decent over there and now he's coming back, which is crazy. Cause like, I know a lot of analysts were making jokes like, Oh, what if he came back? Cause you know, he entered the transfer portal. What do you think about both Gotch coming back to the youth's program? I'm really excited about him. Um, his one year that we saw, I feel like we saw one year of really good booth Gotch where he was playing really good basketball. Um, he was a great playmaker, but it still kind of seems like he didn't really fit that year. And there, I feel like there were just kind of some lineup rotations that weren't right. It seems like we had too many guards um, and we had too many playmakers, but I feel like now he's coming into Utah program where we don't have like a ton of um, playmaking guards where he is going to be like one of the primary playmakers. Um, And I'm excited to see what he does with the weapons around him. I think David Jenkins, the transfer from uh, UNLV, I believe, I think he is going to be a legit weapon. And I think, 
I think Booth Gotch is going to have a really big breakout year as far as his playmaking goes. And he's shown that he's a capable scorer as well. And he's a great defender. He has the length. He has the athletic tools. Um, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do for Utah this year. Yeah, I think something that we've been talking about before is the athleticism that was missing from previous Utah teams. And I think with all of the transfers that um, Coach Smith has picked up, that these are guys that are seem to be natural-born athletes. And I'm super excited for what happens. An- another great one that we picked up a few days ago, and I hope really hope to say his name right, Dusan Maurchich. Am I saying that right? Uh, I think that's as close as you're going to get. <laughs> all right, you know what? We'll find out come season. Um <laughs> I think it was the same thing when Jakob Pertl came to Utah. I was like, Jacob Podol? Like, Podol? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, but a really good um, power forward slash center. Like a big guy, 6'10", 230. And he's putting up just great numbers, averaging um, about basically 10 points, seven rebounds, and an assist in about 24 minutes when he played last season for Illinois State. He picked us over Clemson and Texas, which I think is a huge pick or a huge grab. Because, I mean, those are two, you know, pretty good programs in college basketball. Um, And it's crazy that he picked the Utes. I don't know if Smith will start a a really big post lineup with Carlson at center and um, Dusan at power forward. What do you think that he will add to this Utes program come fall? I think one thing, you you just look at a picture of this guy. He looks so yoked. Man, he he looks like he looks like Yusuf Nurkic, and credit to him, he's all he's Serbian, um, just like Nikola Jokic. Um, I'm personally excited about him. I think he adds a lot of toughness. He adds great. He adds stuff in every end of the floor on both offensive and defensively. Um, he's a great rebound. He great rebounder. He's developing a jump shot right now. Um, I don't think we'll see a ton of that, but I think it might be a weapon down the. Um, in the future. So I'm really excited about him. Um, his first tweet was just Pac-12, I'm coming. And I just, I like when I read that, I was just thinking of this big Russian guy saying that, like Pac-12, <laughs> I'm coming. So I'm I'm way excited about him. I think he is just going to um, do great things at Utah. And I'm excited about this team, man. We have legit weapons. We have toughness. We have I feel like we have a lot of options, and honestly, I'm more confident in this team now than I was before people transferred out. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think just like we said at the end of the last episode, there's so much to look forward to, in both the Jazz and the Utes. I think also in football, I'm super excited just all around. Go Utes and go Jazz. Come on, guys. we we got to get hyped. Any final thoughts, Rich? It's a good time to be a Utes fan and a Jazz fan. I feel like I say that every time, but That's right. it really I, is. <laughs> I like that closer. It's a good time to be alive. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Richie and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.